praying like Jesus, praying like Jesus. So I'm here to talk about or here to teach about prayer. And I don't know why I'm teaching about prayer because this is a subject I lack so much in. I lack so much in. But the title of this message is Praying Like Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill said this, No man is greater than his prayer life. No man is greater than his prayer life. It causes you to think about this. When we pray, is it sincere? Is it desperate? Is it desperate? Because when we understand exactly what the Bible describes to us on what prayer looks like and what prayer is, we see that God doesn't hear prayer. Oh, God doesn't hear prayer. No. God hears desperate prayer. Desperate prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your love and Your grace. Lord, I I just thank You for this, this ability, Lord, to be able to come to You, the God of the universe the Father of our Savior, the Father of us, that we can come and engage with You and connect with You in prayer. I thank You so much for this opportunity, for this privilege to come to You in prayer, to be able to commune with You. Lord, and I just thank You for this opportunity to come and speak. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon all of us here tonight, that we would gain more of an understanding of what prayer is and who you are when we connect with you in prayer. Lord, I pray that any of us who are feeling lonely, feeling separated from you, maybe feeling like you're, you, that, that, that you're not hearing us, maybe that you're not with us, through whatever circumstances we're in in life. Lord, I pray tonight you would speak to them. I pray tonight you would give them comfort. I pray tonight you would give them an answer. I pray tonight, Lord, that you would encourage them. Encourage them to know that you dwell in us and that you dwell with us and that it's your perfect will that we engage with you in prayer. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Oh. We're going to go right out of Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. But before we get into Luke chapter 11, what is prayer? What is prayer? Basically, when you look at the entirety of the Bible and you see it from Genesis to Revelation, you understand just not even looking at the word and looking at the definition in Hebrew or the definition in Greek, but just understand the descriptions of the way the Bible speaks to us and shows us of these people who are engaged in some type of prayer and communication with God. It shows this, a conversing or meditating upon God where you connect intimately with God in your soul. That's what prayer is. It's a communication. It's that time of bonding. It's that time of meditating upon His truths and of who He is, the mightiness of who He is, the the righteousness of His character. 
So sometimes prayer isn't even even saying anything. Sometimes prayer we see in the Bible is just meditating upon His truth. This meditating upon the righteousness of God and His character and who He is. And how magnifying, how much peace, how much joy that can bring to our soul when we engage in that type of prayer and meditation. Even speaking to Him in the truths of what the Bible says and what the Bible directs us and who God's righteousness is and what His God's, what is His righteousness and what His nature is. And when we go to Him in that fashion and go into that nature, knowing that we are His child, ah, oh, how beautiful of a connection we have at that point. And you can see that from Genesis to Revelation on this engagement of prayer. This personal devotion that we have with God now in prayer and communication. Think about it. We get to communicate with the God of the universe. It's real. Oh yes, it's so spiritual, but it's so real because God is. If you believe that He is, then the time that you spend with Him is so real and so engaging and so intimate and so personal. But when you look at prayer, the posture of the heart, not even just the posture of the heart, because the posture of the heart would go out into the body. It would go out into the body on how we worship Him, on how we approach Him, just as we're going to the throne. You see examples of of people on their knees giving homage, giving reverence because of the mightiness of who He is. You see people on their face, literally on their belly, prostrated on the ground because of who He is. Because of the reverence, because of the humility in their hearts. You see a raising towards heaven, the hands towards heaven glorifying His name or reaching out just for His presence. You see that all through the Psalms and raising your hands to the Lord and praising His name. And you also see prayer and meditation with what? With tears. With either tears of joy, tears of sadness, tears of despair. You see all of this emotion that drives tears from the heart and out of your eyes and because and it goes right to the Lord. You also see prayer with anguish, with anguish, frustration, and whatever circumstances come your way. What a place to go when you're feeling in these, you have these emotions within your heart and you can go to God and the Father of the universe and speak to Him. And not even speak, but just be on your face and on your knees crying and just crying out. And we know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, doesn't He? Because why? We hear that in the, in the truth of the Bible. We hear that in the Scriptures. We read that. We can also go to Him with joy. With joy in our hearts. Praise and thanksgiving. But most of all, we can all sum this up with one word. Passion. We can go to Him with passion. God hears that kind of prayer. If you go through all the Bible again, I'm saying this over and over again, because why? You have to understand that from Genesis to Revelation on what prayer, the description of prayer is. What does it look like? What are they doing? How are they communicating? What's going on in that person's heart? 
with passion. They're asking for favor. They're asking for help. They're interceding for others. You see the first prayer of intercession with who? Who do we see that with? In the Old Testament. Abraham. He interceded for Sodom. He was interceding for them. He was interceding for his nephew. So you see that type of prayer. You also see, and it's been used with passion, to ask for direction. For direction in life. On the path that God has on has for you. On where He wants you. On which way to go. On what to do in life. And I love this one. It's also with passion just to hear Him and draw close to Him. Just to hear Him and draw close to Him. If you want to understand that example, or you want to see that description of what that looks like, read the Psalms. Because that's what the Psalms are. They're prayers put into songs. S-O-N-G-S. But with each Psalm that you go through, you can see three elements in those, right? Trial. The trial. The trust. And the triumph. If you're a pastor, you can do a whole sermon on those things, the three-point sermon, trial, trust, and triumph. Because almost every psalm that you read, that's what's in there, right? That's our prayer sometimes. We go to Him with the trial. We ask Him so we can trust Him. And then at the end of that prayer, you spend, however, I don't know how long you're spending in prayer, and then you get the triumph. You get the encouragement. That's what that is. That's what prayer is. Not going to just one chapter and defining it for you, but the entirety of the Bible. If you look at everybody in there who has petitioned God, who has come to God, it's always been in that nature, hasn't it? It always has. And the foundation of this study is what? To understand your walk. To understand your faith. To understand who God is. To be able to approach Him, knowing Him. Based on the truths of Scripture. Based on the truths of how Scripture describes His righteousness. Because that gears your whole prayer life in absolute truth. Doesn't it not? Luke chapter 11. Or before I go there, let me capitalize on just this one truth. Even Paul... Even Paul, the apostle, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18, he says this, and he's encouraging the Thessalonians. And this is for you and I as well. But he says this in verse 16, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Remember I said, one of the attributes or the attitudes of prayer is joy. Rejoice always. Verse 17, look at Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Verse, every, verse 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three elements there. Rejoice, never stop praying, and always give thanks, and you'll be in the will of God. You want to know what prayer is? There it is, right there. Those, those, three, those three encouragements. Those three exhortations to the church of Thessalonians. 
That's that engagement and with God of the universe. That's the engagement with Jesus Christ. That's the engagement with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. There's three elements in this chapter, and we're only going to the four verses. I'm sorry, not in the chapter, but in this four verses, there's three elements I want to capture here to understand praying like Jesus. Praying like Jesus. Closeness, focus, and oneness. Closeness, focus, and oneness. These are these three elements that we can dissect or bring out of the text that we have here and we look at this modeled prayer. Let's look at chapter or chapter 11, uh, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. And when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So one of his disciples, one of the boys was looking at him, found him praying in a certain place. Now we know from scripture, especially from this book, the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke, that he often withdrew in the wilderness to pray. He also went on certain mountains when he was in the area of Galilee to pray, to be in solitude so he can hear and have closeness with God. Closeness. But when we look at that verse and when he saw Jesus, that means he saw him and he wanted something that Jesus had. And he saw that closeness that Jesus was portraying in his prayer life because he was connected with the Father. He wanted that. You notice, through the Gospels, even Peter, none of them asked him, Lord, teach us to preach with fire like you do. Teach us to preach. Not one of them ever asked him that. They ask him, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. They wanted closeness. They wanted that that closeness with the Father. They saw something in Jesus and they wanted that. And Jesus was teaching them that the whole time. How to have that closeness. How to commune with the Father. How to pray. Now, the Bible doesn't say the type of posture he was in. We have no idea what he was doing. The type of heart posture that formed his physical posture. I already went through some physical postures of reverence of prayer, right? But it doesn't describe that. We know with this word, proskunokamai, proskunokamai, praying for, he was earnestly, seriously, with an intense, serious state of mind, praying for someone. He was praying for something. He was praying for. He had some passion going on. He had some earnest, 
serious in the state of mind and his posture of his heart going on. And the boy, whoever found him, the fella, it might have been Peter. Who knows? It doesn't say. But whoever it was saw that and wanted that. Now, Jesus wasn't doing that to be glorified or to show, hey, look how I'm praying. He wasn't doing that, right? We know that from Scripture and how he was teaching the disciples back in Matthew chapter 6 that we don't pray in that fashion. We pray in such a way where there's a communion going on with God, like we're one-on-one with Him. He says, go into your a secret place and prayer and pray, not like the Pharisees. So we know that's not what his whole motive was. He was praying earnestly for something. That's what this word means. But they maybe have saw a posture in him. Who knows? He could have been on his face. He could have been weeping. He could have been on his knees. But whatever it was, it influenced the disciple that much to ask him, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. How often do we ask the Lord, teach us to pray? How often do we look in the Bible and its scriptures and say, Father, show me. He does it. He does it. He gives you that heart. If you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, you're going to learn how to pray. Why? Because the scriptures teach us He intercedes for us. He leads you in all truth, right? He teaches you. He teaches you all things that you have or you have learned in the Bible. He teaches you in such a way that you would remember. Teach us to pray. Numerous times, just in this gospel alone, chapter 8, just in this gospel alone, or excuse me, eight times in this gospel alone, Luke talks about Jesus praying. And it was recorded over eight times. He prayed and the heavens were open when he was baptized. Do you remember that? And then it says he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. And then he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And then he, he was alone praying and his disciples joined him. And then he took what? Peter, James, and John on the mountain to pray. And his appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white as glistering and he was in his glorious state. Remember that? And he was in anguish towards his people Israel and he looked towards Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And then he prayed for Peter. Remember he told him, hey, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And then where else did he pray? In the garden, just before he went to the cross. So we see over and over, even in all the Gospels, there's recognition or description of Jesus praying. Where else to get a better example or to get taught how to pray than watch Jesus. That should be the fundamental truth as we come to the Lord in Jesus Christ and we come in salvation as a newborn Christian. When we have questions, we go straight to Jesus and say, how did he do it? Where do I find this truth? There's a reason why he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
There's a reason why he says that. He's all of truth, all encompasses of, of one. Everything of who we are revolves around him. Everything. The Bible says in Colossians, in him all things consist. He holds it all together like rebar. Without him as rebar, you're nothing. You would literally explode. I don't want to go into that topic. That's a whole nother story, a whole nother sermon, a whole nother teaching. But the idea that I'm getting at is it's Jesus. Jesus is the example. Praying like Jesus. I, find, I don't do this often. And usually what I do is I, I tell the story and not read it to bore you with so many words. But I found this story to be so captivating for me and so influencing for me in my own prayer life and my own devotion with the Lord to read about others of old in the church in the 17, 1800s inspires me so much, even further in the early church. Why? Not only do we see the foundations of the faith in the scriptures come alive, but it's even more glorifying. Remember, Jesus said greater works than you will do than these. So when you see the greater works happen outside of the scriptures and start happening into real life people outside of the Bible of what is written, oh man, that should bring magnificent glory to your hearts and truth and encouragement. But there's a book that um, I was I'm, I'm, I'm tasked to read with or tasked to read and it's called Lectures to My Students by Charles Spurgeon. And he, <laughs> it's so awesome because the first two chapters of this book, he talks nothing about but prayer, private prayer and public prayer. Lectures to my students. Interesting that he focuses on prayer before anything else anything else. And this whole thing that we're talking about, about passionate prayer or desperate prayer or praying like Jesus is in this one example. Listen to this. He talks about a person named Mr. Joseph Allen, And he says this, if we are not more negligent than others, this is no consolation to us. The shortcomings of others are no excuse for us. He's talking about prayer life. How few of us could compare ourselves with Mr. Joseph Allen, whose character I have mentioned before. At the time of his health, so this guy had health issues. Understand what motivated this man. At the time of his health, writes his wife. So his wife wrote about him. His wife intently watched this man, her husband. He did rise constantly at or before four of the clock or four o'clock in the morning and would be much troubled if he heard Smith's or other craftsmen, excuse me, at their trades before he was at communion with God. He was so desperate to be in silence with God. No distractions. Saying to me often, how this noise shames me. At four in the morning, he couldn't understand why people would be working that early. They should be in communion with God. That's what he's saying here. Does not my master deserve more than theirs? 
From four till eight, he spent in prayer, holy contemplation and singing of psalms in which he much delighted and did daily practice alone as well in his family. Sometimes he would suspend the routine of periodical engagements and devote whole days to these secret exercises in order to which he would contrive to be alone in some void house or else in some sequestered spot in the open valley. Here there would be much prayer and meditation on God and heaven. Do you see? Yeah, he had health health issues. Do you see where he was at? Do you see where he was driven? Why was he driven there? He wanted that closeness. He wanted it so bad. He got up that early to get it. Because he didn't want any distractions. That's where Jesus was here. That's where Jesus was here. We read in the other scriptures, he got up before everybody else and he prayed. Before he did anything, he prayed. He wanted desperately that closeness. He wanted desperately that closeness. Verse 2. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second element here, focus. Focus. As we just read about Mr. Aline, his whole focus was the God in heaven. Remember, I just read that. God in heaven. That's what his focus was. That's what Jesus, he, these guys are telling him, hey, teach me how to pray. Teach us how to pray. God's giving him a model. This is how you do it. Focus on God the Father as your Father. Understand that. Jesus is saying this very important truth. Listen, our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. The first part of that truth, the focus is God as our Father, which makes you what? What does that make you? Say it again. Say it again. Say it louder. Say, we are God's children. Ah, there it is. You see? It's an easy answer, isn't it, Michael? But when you go to him in that fashion, the focus is what? God the Father and I'm his child. And if you being a father are evil and will listen to your child, how much more would your father in heaven listen to a child? He does. Jesus was teaching the disciples that before about having childlike faith. Why? Because that's what God wants to hear. Childlike prayers. I challenge you. Spend some time with my wife in the child's ministry and go listen to those prayers. You talk about heartfelt prayer, desperate prayer, that's it. There's one little boy who always prays for his father. Always. And it brings me to... I'm just like so encouraged. I'm like... This, this boy, his whole focus is for his father. 
I know God hears it. Go in there and listen to these kids pray. I think God has put me in there for a reason, to humble me. He has. If you want to be humbled, go hang around with the kids and find out how to pray. Understand that. I challenge you. Out in the audio land, I challenge you. Go for it. It'll change your whole perspective on who the Father is. Man, it brings you to tears sometimes to hear that kind of prayer. Childlike prayer and faith. So their attention and focus is on His righteousness also. It's on His righteousness. Hallowed be your name. The holiness of God. That's the other truth about this focus. The holiness of God. The focus. God is so holy, it separates Himself from every other God that people portray in this world. He says He's only one. There's only one and true God. Jesus prayed for that, in, or prayed about that, and stated that in His prayer in John chapter 17, right? That they would know the only true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. He capitalizes on the truths in Isaiah over and over in the last middle chapters of Isaiah. Isaiah says that, or, or excuse me, he records that from the Lord. There is only one God. One and only God. God spends chapters and chapters of re- reciting that over and over to Israel. So they would get the truth and understand the focus. It's only God. You can't have any other gods. It's just Him. You can't have any other focus. It's just Him. Does it make more sense now when you see why Jesus went alone and withdrew from people and went into an area of solitude to spend some time so He can what? Focus. So He can have oneness and so He can focus. Focus on the righteousness of God. A beautiful truth, but so easy, so simple, right? So simple, but so difficult and distracting for us in this world today. So distracting for us. We have so much going on. We have so much worries. We have so much work to do. We have so much overwhelming uh, uh, other priorities. You might have, you might put God priority first at, at first during the day. Yeah, that's good. But what are you thinking about when you're praying? Where's your focus? Are you thinking about what you're going to do at work or what you're going to do in the next five minutes? Or how you have to go clean up after that animal or this animal and and how put that fencing in or what that fencing and and what I'm going to do Saturday and how am I going to accomplish this next week? And man, my plumbing's leaking and all this and that. Where's the focus? You see why Jesus withdrew into the wilderness often to pray? Even he was wearied by all the stuff. He wanted to get the focus right. And he was trying to show the boys here, hey, this guy who was saying, teach me to pray, this is how. You've got to get focused. You've got to focus on his name, the holiness of his name, and the fact that you're a child and he's your father. Beautiful truths there. The next one right here, look at this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
kingdom purposes. Part of focus, isn't it? Kingdom purposes. John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Jesus expands on this very truth about being a kingdom child, about being a kingdom bearer, about bearing the name of Jesus Christ, about going forth out in the purposes and plans and intent of Jesus Christ. Why? To accomplish His purposes and to have what I call dynamic prayer, where it comes together because you're so focused in God, you're so focused on what His will is for your life, you want to go out and do what He is asking you to do because you are bearing His name. Bearing His name in the light of a kingdom or a king. In the light of a kingdom or a king. That's what He brings reference to in that. In John chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. He also talks about it right here. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as it is in heaven here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. Excuse me. I stand corrected. But do you understand the kingdom purposes? Understand that you, I know our pastor taught about this a couple Sundays ago. Sundays ago. We are his name bearer, aren't we? We bear the name of Jesus Christ. If you're going around praying in the name of Jesus after every prayer, you're bearing his name. You don't necessarily have to say that every time. Just going forth in his, in his will and his purposes, and his plan, and his intent for your life, or whatever assignment he has, or whatever mission in life you have, and you're bearing his name, that's, that's the effect right there. But again, he takes on a whole, he takes on this whole analogy of a king and his knights going out in the kingdom for the kingdom's purposes, for the greater good of the kingdom. That's what you're doing. You're going out in the, for the greater good of the kingdom. You're praying for His will in your life. Whatever that might be. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want to look at the light of this truth about being His name bearer, about going out and accomplishing His purpose and plan, whatever that might be if you want to get an understanding of what that might be, also look at Jesus, but also look at Paul in the book of Acts. Read the book of Acts and figure out what a name bearer does going out in the purposes and plans of Jesus Christ, going forth for kingdom purposes or for the greater good of the kingdom. We see right here in chapter 16 and verse 6, Paul had this passion or this intent to go where? Galatia. He wanted to go to Galatia. But what does it say? We, they were forbidden, verse 6, by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bethany, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Trous, down to Trous. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Verse 9, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Look at concluding verse 10, the last part of it, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach to the gospel to them. They went and went and sought to go to Macedonia. Do you see? Do you see going forth for the purposes 
and the kingdom of God. That's that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The focus, wanting to go where he wants you to go. I always talk about Livingston. That was his whole purpose in life, never to get out of the willing of God. That's what he called it, the old English, willing. The willing of God. He never wanted to be out of that. That's where Paul was here. Because of this, because of what he did, what happened? He went to Philippi and we got the book of Philippians afterwards. The book of Philippians. He also wrote to the Galatians during this time. We also hear the story of who? The Philippian jailer and his family got saved. There was a purpose for the kingdom, the greater good of the purpose that God's will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Mind-blowing. We don't understand it when he cuts us off and we can't go here or we can't go there or he puts us over here and he puts us over there. But this is where the focus is. Hey, Lord, I want to be in your will. I need to be in your focus. I'm your child. I need to focus on you and what your purposes are. One last example, I'll capitalize on this some more. The example of Jesus praying vehemently, vehemently. Look at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. Talks about learning obedience. Part of this is focus is being obedient to his truths and being obedient to his plan and his leading. But look at this, verse 7. Who in the days of his flesh... Okay, because he's talking about the authenticity here. The writer of Hebrews is talking about the authenticity of Jesus being the new high priest, our high priest in heaven. So he says, verse 7, Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and was heard because of why? Because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. His whole desire was to do God's will despite the cost. He could have bailed at that point. He could have died superficially and not go to the cross. Remember, who was tempting him all the way through? Satan. Remember what, 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 what Luke says in this, in this gospel. After he comes out of the wilderness, what does he say? What does he say? Satan left him to come back and tempt him at a later time. Or at a more opportune time, I should say. Satan's whole focus was to get Jesus not to go to the cross. And here Jesus is praying vehemently with tears and cries in, 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 in the garden so he can stay focused on the purpose and plan and God's will for his life. We see that in Luke chapter 22. What happened? He was in such despair, such agony, such agony in the spirit, such agony in the mind. He was what? Sweating drops of blood. That's how passionate he was. That's how focused he wanted to stay. 
Think about that. I don't know anybody that's prayed like that. Praying like Jesus. Wanting to stay focused on God's will for his life. Wanting to stay focused on God's will for humanity. All so he can be with you and I forever. Let's go back to uh, Luke 11. Verse 3, or before we... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 3. Give us day by day our daily bread. Give us day by day our daily bread. So Jesus is teaching these guys to rely, their whole reliance is upon the provisions of God. For all your provisions for your daily life. What does Matthew say in verse 633? But first seek the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Before he says that, he spends quite a bit of time talking about not worrying about the things of this world on what you should wear and what you should eat and how you should be and all those other things that the rest of the world worries about. God is going to provide for you as long as you stay focused on God the Father in the heavens as God the, as your Father and you're His child and He's going to take care of you. That should bring reality to the truth and inspiration in your prayer life. Praying like Jesus. I like it how the Living Bible says this. I know some of you don't like the Living Bible, but listen to how this translates this truth. And He will give to them, to you, if you give Him first place in your life and live as He wants you to. (sighs) Capture that. Totally brings light to that, but first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things shall be added unto you. As you're living as God's child, he is going to provide for you. As you're living and praying in God's name, as God's child, and your focus is him, he will provide for you. He promises that. He promises that. Do you see the whole model of what he's doing? He's teaching, uh, Jesus is teaching these guys on their whole focus. Look at James 4. It brings more light to the verse in James 4. Go to James 4 really quick. Living as God wants you to. Look at this in James 4. He says, where do wars and fights come from? He says, from, they come from among you. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Verse 2, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. Verse 3, here's the kicker. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. The focus. The focus. And he will give to them if you give Him first place in your life and live as He wants you to. The Lord's brother said this, James. He understood prayer. He understood the focus. I like it because they used to call this guy Old Camel Knees because he was always on his knees praying. They always used to find him that way. That was the the, the church talk of the town, the early church 
um, uh, description of who James's brother or Jesus's brother was. He was always praying. He found that focus. Verse four. Verse four. And forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Oneness. The third element, oneness. What is oneness? It means to be united together as one for one purpose. For that single purpose. God talks about that in marriage. To be united together, a man and a woman, for a single purpose. And what's that? To worship God. To have Jesus as the center of their life, the center of their marriage. To be united in Christ. To be united together. To be on the same page. In other words, to be united together. Oneness. To have the same purpose. Here, in this verse right here, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus is trying to establish the oneness that you can have in prayer by having a what? Surrendered and humility in your heart. Surrendered heart of repentance and humility. That's how you establish oneness. To have humility. And he's trying to show him this. Look at this. Just by this one thing. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. That is humility. To realize that you are a sinner. To realize that you need forgiveness. And that you also need to forgive those who have wronged you. Your enemies. I love it because in Psalm 51, David nailed this. He nailed this very, very truth about humility and having a heart of repentance. He understood this by his sin towards God. Because his sin towards God, he realized what? That he lost that oneness. He lost that intimacy with God. He pleaded with God in that psalm, don't cast me away from your presence. Please do not take your Holy Spirit from me. That's what he thrived in. And he realized the sin wasn't against the nation of Israel. It wasn't against Bathsheba. It wasn't against Uriah. It wasn't against anybody. Ultimately, it was against one person and that was God, Yahweh. He needed forgiveness. He needed that mercy. He needed that grace to have oneness. To have that connection. And that's what Jesus is establishing here. You need a surrendered heart of repentance and humility. Basically, David capitalizes on this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, verse 17. Here's another example. Luke chapter 18 of the tax collector and the Pharisee. Look at this example of a surrendered heart and repentance of humility. Brokenness in a contrite heart. He's talking again about humility. Also, verse 9 and verse 18, or chapter 18 and verse 9, also he spoke this parable, parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13, and the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as rise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The need for oneness is a surrendered heart of repentance and humility, a brokenness and a contrite heart. Know that you are a sinner. Know that you need forgiveness and know that your enemy or debtor needs forgiveness also. Know that. The one who's jamming you up still needs it. Do you see how God is? It, it wants you to have it or Jesus is, is, is teaching us that we can have oneness by having this type of heart, a broken and contrite heart, even towards our enemy. He gives this beautiful picture in Matthew chapter five, right? He says, love your enemy by praying for him. What? By blessing him. For what? What are you praying for? He tells you to pray for him. Are you praying like John and uh, James? Lord, shall I cast down fire and brimstone like Elijah? No. His whole purpose and what he teaches there is what? That God would bless him and God's goodness that would lead him to repentance. That God would bless him and God's goodness would lead him to repentance. God takes care of your enemies. Just pray for him. Two test, well, actually, well, one testimony. I, there's plenty of them, but one with my beautiful wife. We had this, we had this barker behind our house. And the only reason why I call her a barker, because that's what she was. She would not leave my wife alone for a year. Tormented my wife with so much stuff. So much. We were gonna, we were gonna take her to court, because my, she was accusing my wife of all kinds of false stuff. Accusing us of our dogs barking. I had two labs. They're, they're, not, they're not perfectly trained labs, but they don't bark all night. I know that. Accusing my wife of all this false stuff. Saying, oh, you go to that church up there off of sunset. I know that church. There's a bunch of sinners in there. They're all hypocrites. She was right about that. <laughs> but not about my wife. We went to this lady's house. I went with my wife. My wife, I said, told her, you stand behind me when we talk to her. I recorded this all on tape, uh, on my phone, because we were going to bring a lawyer into this. We were going to do all this litigation with this lady. And she tore apart my wife, and it was just right in front of us. And I pretty much, I didn't know I was doing this, but I was doing this. God was leading us through this. We didn't retaliate or anything. We went home and we prayed nonstop for God's will, God's plan to do whatever we, he needed to do for this lady. We also prayed for her salvation. We prayed for that. A year later down the road, we didn't do anything. We got the paperwork that we were supposed to get. And man, it was like a mile high. The court system's, oh, you got to fill all this out. And then you got to go to small claims court. You're going, really? 
to get legal action in this state, that's what you got to do? Ah, we'll handle it. We'll, we'll stick with God. And that's what we did. We stuck with him and we prayed for a year straight and all these accusations. It went all the way up to my, to my landlord's. And this lady got us on Facebook and this lady was just ripping, apart, ripping us apart on social media, was ripping us apart with our landlords. And our landlord's going, man, you guys pay the rent all the time. I know you guys have a good testimony. You're good. And the landlords decided to get their own lawyers and handle the situation for us. Not, we didn't know about it. But they got someone to stay for three days on our street. We didn't even know that person was there. And he watched all four houses on that corner that were in question of dogs barking. He stayed there for four days, recorded everything, saw everything. And guess what? God showed us innocent. It was the dog next door. The lady couldn't do a thing. We didn't have to do anything. We prayed for our enemies. Now, sad to say, sad to say, this lady, I don't know if she went to salvation. I don't know if she came to the Lord. After we moved out of that house, we heard her husband died. And now she's lonely. Do you see why God says to pray for our enemies? There's something going on with that. God wants to save them too. You remember, God calls us his enemy. We were once his enemy. Romans chapter 5. If you go in that and you dig in there, we were once enemies and he died for us. Remember that? That's the whole attitude here. And who, who died for us? Jesus. And who are we looking at an example of prayer? Jesus. Praying like Jesus. Forgive our enemies. Forgive us. Forgive our debtors. Blows my mind with that. That whole perspective. It totally goes against worldly wisdom, doesn't it? Sue them. Go get them. Bust out the 12 gauge. Now bust out God and get on your knees and start praying and see what he does. I can go on another testimony too and what happened. Just recently. It's mind-blowing. Just in the church. I was like, wow. Brings you to tears. How God moves like that. He wants unity. He wants oneness. Back over to, where were we at? Luke 11. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. And lead us, and do not lead us into temptation. And do not lead us into temptation. Into temptation. I'm sorry, I'm going way too fast. But deliver us from the evil one. Temptations. Do not lead us into temptations. Don't misunderstand that. It's not that God would lead us into temptation, but that what? Through our testings and our trial, please God help us not to give in to temptation. Not to give in to temptation. We know from the book of James, right? What does he say in chapter 1? He says that in chapter 1, right? This is, it brings this whole little model prayer into light. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For, we, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life 
which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Compare scripture with scripture. I know that's what's being taught here, right? But each one is tempted. Here's the, here's the, 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 the kicker, the nugget of that prayer. But when each one is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desires has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death or destruction. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Do not be deceived. Does that prayer, that model prayer, bring light to what he's talking about now? Lord, do not lead us to be tempted as we go through these testings and trials. The beautiful thing, when you understand this prayer and you understand the other truths of Scripture and when you're praying in the truths of Scripture based on the righteousness of God and who He is and what the Scriptures say Jesus is in the Trinity, we understand one thing with the Trinity. And I've said this before. This is one truth that separates all the other religions from their gods, from our Jesus. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father dwell in us. So when you're going through a temptation, when you're going through a trial or a test, He is with you, He is in you, and He can also come upon you to give you that power to get through. He can. He promises us that. Chapter 14 of John gives a big big description of what that new relationship of the presence of Jesus Christ is now in the new believer's life as he died went to went to hell raised or excuse me as he died and rose rose and went to heaven to be with the father the whole relationship dynamic changes now he dwells in the believer that separates you every religion doesn't it buddha doesn't dwell in you allah doesn't dwell in you I don't know about the Mormon God and I don't know about Jehovah's Witness God, but I don't think they dwell in you. That's what separates the, the, the rest of the religions from the truth. So when you're praying in that truth, in the light of that truth, you understand when you're praying like this, for we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead, do not lead us in temptation, to temptation. The fact of the matter when you're praying that, He's going to give you the power and strength to be able to endure, like James says. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Last part. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But deliver us from the evil one, the devil and Satan. Notice, he is real. Satan is real. He is real as it is. He was in the upper room, right? During the supper. He was there with them. He's real. The awesome thing is, is that we have a God and we have a Savior who has victory over him. That's the truth we need to remember. In chapter 6 of Ephesians, that's why Paul spends that last part of that book talking about praying with all supplication putting on the whole armor of God. Why? Because it messes with our mind. 
The enemy messes with our mind. The circumstances of life messes with our mind. The distractions of this life mess with our mind. And we get sucked up into that. John 10 verse 9 talks about the enemy being a thief. He talks about the enemy being a thief. And there's three things that the enemy has in mind, right? To steal, kill, and destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. That's his whole purpose for the Christian. His whole purpose. And understand, Peter knew him very well, didn't he? He knew that. Jesus even told him that. Hey, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. He's asked to sift you like wheat. First Peter. First Peter. Look at this and what he says to the believers here. Just about the enemy. And he talks about oneness. Why? Humility is in oneness. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Look at verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Look at that. The whole purpose for the enemy is to devour you. That word devour means to drink down and to spit out and squash. That's what he wants to do. But the whole key in it all is humility. Humility. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Do you understand? The whole, the whole model of this is also in the mind. Because like I said, we're so distracted in the mind. There was three elements, right? Closeness, focus, and oneness. In all this, we can come down to this very truth. And even, even Peter just said that in that last bit of scripture. Pray in such a way that you have resilience in your mind and spirit. Pray without ceasing. Why? So you have resilience in your mind and spirits and spirit. What is resilience? Listen, what is resilience? It is the capability of a strained spirit to recover and be strengthened. It is the capability of a strained spirit to recover and be strengthened after deformation caused by compressive stress. That's what resilience is. To be able to bounce back. To be able to endure. Praying like Jesus brings us to that place of resilience and it causes closeness, focus, and oneness. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this example of how to pray like your son. Jesus, your word says that you are in us, that you dwell with us and that you dwell in us and that you've given us the Holy Spirit to teach us and bring us to a place where we can have remembrance of all things that you've taught us and that we, that we learn as we go, as we walk through with you. Lord, and the whole purpose of all of this is to know you 
to have a relationship with you and to get to know you more. So I pray with these truths tonight that the the example of praying like Jesus, that it would capture our minds and our hearts in such a way, Lord, where we want to go home and we want to practice this and we want to do this. We want to have focus. We want to have one closeness and focus and oneness. Lord, please make it real. Please make it real in my life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.